chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew cast a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, John. Well, we are continuing in our study in the Gospel of Mark and kind of moving on to this section with Jesus where we, we get to go on the first part of this journey with him. We get invited into it. And um, we, we actually get to hear Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark in this text. And words are important, right? You know, first words are especially important. You know, when you see, if you've ever seen parents who their child says their first word, you know, it's like their whole, they just struck oil. They're so excited about it. Like first words are important. I think it was in 1969, there was a professor at UCLA who sent the first like message to a networked computer to a computer in Stanford. And the message was log in, you know, as the first words that went across a network like that, at least um, in the kind of our sector or things that we can access. And um, that changes everything. Like probably this morning right now, you might be texting somebody, right? Like we have communication that happens all the time. And first words are significant precisely because they are that. And so in the first words of the Gospel of Mark, you know, we, we meet Mark. He tells us he's here to, proclaim, to tell us about this message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah and the Son of God. And then he tells us, he quotes Isaiah, kind of rooting this story in the ancient reality of the prophecies that are made that Jesus is coming to fulfill. And then we meet John the Baptist, who's a guy who wears camel hair and likes to eat, you know, uh, locusts with honey on top and all that kind of stuff. And he's doing this baptism of repentance. And then Jesus, we meet Jesus. And he's baptized. And it's a sign of us being united together. And Jesus goes in the wilderness and comes back out. And then... The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time has come. The time has come. Now, alarm bells should be going off in your head in some ways. When the one through whom and by whom and for whom all things were created says, The time has come, our ears should perk up. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God's all about, Jesus is the exact representation of the being of God like this is what God is like the one who sits at the right hand of the father says the time has come and then Jesus goes on to say the kingdom of God is near repent and believe and then the journey begins as he makes his way out on the to the sea of Galilee so these first words the time has come I want you to think about that as we make our way through really the entirety of the gospel of Mark this is meant to be a message that we hear and go okay this is, this is where it all changes. Like This is where something so significant happens that it's what we mean when we say we're followers of Christ 
That's what the Gospel of Mark is making accessible to us. So, let's go. In verse 14, um, we get this little phrase uh, that says, after John was put in prison, and then we immediately go to Jesus' words. Now, there's some foreshadowing that's going on here. John was put into prison. If you were to look up this word, um, that Greek word that's talking about him being put in prison, it's the exact same word that we find later in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 10, where we read this. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. The idea of betray, that exact word, is the same word that's used here about John, that he's being handed over. You know, th- this is what's in store for Jesus, right? He's baptized. He's united to us. The first consequence is he has to go into the wilderness. He's tempted by the most powerful forces of evil. He has to deny himself. He comes out of the wilderness. And then John is handed over as a picture of Jesus himself being handed over. Jesus is, this journey for Jesus is going to be incredibly difficult. And yet it's worth it to him because he's ours. And we're his, as we talked about Last week, Jesus willingly moves down this path. He knows where it will lead, and his journey begins. Then we read in verse 15, Jesus says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus makes his way towards the Sea of Galilee, and he's saying these things. Now, that's not just meant to give you this image of Jesus and footprints in the sand, you know, Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. Mark is saying that because that's another fulfillment of God's promises made to Isaiah in chapter 9. Verse 1 says this in chapter 9 of Isaiah, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. Like every single thing we're reading as we're heading into this journey, Mark is saying this is grounded in the heart of God from ages past It is significant. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Those who are experiencing gloom, that will end because Jesus brings relief from distress. Isaiah talks about in that same passage that this is the light, like the light of the dawn, that he will bring great joy. And then Isaiah says this, and maybe you'll recognize it as we um, eventually get to Advent. A child will come and he will be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Everything that God's been promising is being realized in a very special way in this moment. And Jesus makes his way towards the Sea of Galilee and says, repent and believe the good news. Now, when you think about this kingdom, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is near. What does that look like? Actually, the Gospel of Mark gives us a bunch of pictures of what the kingdom of God looks like exactly. That's, that's why we have it written. So consider some things. There's miracles in the New Testament, right? Why does Jesus do miracles in the New Testament? They aren't magic tricks. And he's not just trying to say, isn't this amazing, I can do this. Jesus is performing these miracles in the Newer Testament, as we'll read about, to do this, give you a, visu- a visual understanding of what it looks like when his kingdom is fully realized. It's a place where the blind are able to see. It's the place where the deaf are able to hear. It's the place where he's able to forgive. It's the place where he can bring dead things and make them alive. Now, we read about this in Mark chapter 2, which we'll get to. Jesus says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, get up and walk, or to say, get up and take your, or, or to say this, that you're forgiven. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so then Jesus says, go ahead and get up and walk. 
Everybody's impressed. And then Jesus is saying, that is not even the biggest deal. The biggest deal is that I come to bring a message that you can experience peace with God. That I have the authority, as we read in the, in, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 earlier, He's the Son of God. He has authority to forgive sins. So all of those miracles that we're seeing take place in the future as we read Gospel of Mark, all of these little stories that we see uh, and learn about as Jesus is interacting with people, all of it is meant to give us a foretaste, a, a sort of a, a heart of anticipation about what it's going to be like when our Savior returns again as He has promised He will one day do. He's going to make all things new. A love that brings, yes, physical restoration eventually, yes, but a love that brings spiritual rest and spiritual renewal and actual peace with God. The kingdom of God has come near. And we know that the kingdom of God has come near. Why? Because Jesus has come near. As you're interacting with Jesus, you know, we, we talked about this last week too, but we are met, we're the recipients of this message. The audience Mark is writing to, that, that's who we are. And as you encounter and you think through and you wrestle with who Jesus is, you're actually experiencing the nearness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is inviting you into this story. Okay, so John's handed over. Jesus heads out to Galilee. He's telling everyone who will listen, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And it is a real and it is a powerful message. Now, when you hear messages that are not real, when they're hoaxes, when they're lies, it's really painful, isn't it? You know, I, I read this story because, you know, September 11th just passed. Um, I read this story recently that actually surfaced earlier in 2003, if you remember, about a man whose dad worked for the New York City Fire Department. And um, he talked to his dad, and it was on September 11th. His dad said, I have to go downtown to help with what's going on. This is crazy. We don't, we don't know what's happening, but I've got to go help. And so he talked with his dad. He prayed with his dad. He invited his father, hey, you need to trust Jesus. You really need him to walk with you as you make your way into this attack, right? So his dad says, hey, I love you, son, but that, I'm just, I got to go. So he heads out. He doesn't get to have the conversation with his father. His father ends up dying um, on that day. And he's, this, this man is really struggling with that. And the story actually also says that the man's wife was going to fly to New York and her child was with her and they were one of the planes that was supposed to be part of the attack. And so I remember reading this in the beginning and thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. Like this is a really, like is this story true? It's so, uh, you know, profound if it is. Because this woman couldn't get on the airplane because they had a, an issue with their car. And so on one hand, this man was thankful to God for saving his wife. And on the other, he's really struggling with, struggling with the fact that his father was killed. Well, 2003 comes by. And people are posting cool stories on Facebook. And this story gets posted. A woman comes and knocks on this man's door and says, Are you such and such? And he said, Yes, I am. And she said, Well, I know your father because he saved me on the day that the towers went down. He goes, Oh my goodness, tell me about it. And he said, Well, I was trapped and I was pregnant. And this is my two-year-old son who I've now named him after your father. Because I prayed with him and talked to him about Jesus and he accepted the Lord. And then he went back up and then he died. Now, when I first heard this story, I was like, Man... That's a powerful story. Like, what if that's real? The problem is, is that no one can verify any of these details. They can't verify the man who was in the fire department who died. They can't verify the woman who would have been on the flight manifest. They can't verify. Nothing about it is verifiable. 
And so I remember when I learned that about this story, I was kind of frustrated. I was like, it's a great story. Like, that's super, like, inspiring. It's also very manipulating because, like, I was, you know, wrestling with this myself. And, and um, you know, we don't do well with lies and hoaxes. We're not meant to do well with them, actually. And when you read about the story of Jesus, it is so powerful. And it is so big. And it, is, it changes everything that if it's a lie or it's a hoax, you should kind of just celebrate around Christmas time and maybe come together with Easter and then that's it. But it's not that. This is a story where the king of heaven and earth says, listen up, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. So what does it mean for us to embrace that ourselves? What does it mean to repent and believe? Well, repentance means to turn away, right? It means to turn towards who God is. And if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you know, maybe you haven't thought about this as much, but as Christians, we wrestle with that every single week of turning back to God. Kyle just led us through a confession of sin. That is not something we do as sort of just like a little celebration. We're actually confessing the reality of our sins. I'll say this. I think our confessions of sin, you probably name sins that you don't talk about with anybody else in our confession of sin. We're laying it all out there because we need to turn towards God. Why? Because that's the only place we find life. We don't find life in hoaxes and lies. We don't find life in things that God says will bring death. We find life in turning towards Him because His message is a way of life. It's kind of like bitterness. Have you ever been bitter before? I definitely have. And when someone hurts you and your initial reaction is bitterness, it feels so right because you're like, I'm going to hold them to this. I'm really frustrated. And these are going to be the consequences of what they've done. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to text them. I'm not going to buy them Starbucks. I mean, all that goes away, right? The thing is, the scriptures tell us that that actual expression of bitterness does something to your own soul. And if you've been bitter long enough, you've probably experienced it. You begin to kind of treat them like they're not real. That's what we call hating somebody. To act as if they're being alive or dead is irrelevant to you. It's essentially like murder in your heart. There's no life in that. God says to us if there's life in forgiveness. He shows it to us by Christ dying for us on the cross and rising from the dead and saying, look, sure, I can make a paralyzed man walk, and I know that's impressive to you, but I can actually forgive all of your sins. And so turn towards me. Trust me. There's no, there's no life in shame. There's no life in selfishness. And there's no life in self-righteousness. It's all a lie. It's all a hoax. Turn away from the hoax. Jesus is saying, repent. Don't believe these lies. Do something better. Believe. Believe in the good news, Jesus says. What does it mean for us to believe in the good news? Well, part of it is hearing what we're reading in the Gospel of Mark and saying, do I personally believe this? Like, do I really believe that God is so big that he would humble himself and empty himself of his power in a lot of ways and be baptized and go into the wilderness and fight the enemies of darkness for me and come out of the wilderness for me and then go and begin this journey that we're going to follow so that I can experience forgiveness and the promise of resurrection one day. Repent and believe the good news. And the most important step in all of that is being willing to listen and say, do I believe it? The journey of faith. Jesus, in this exact moment, both in this story and right here in the middle of Grace Woodlands, is inviting us to say, okay, I'm going to turn toward God. What's that mean? 
Good news. We're going to study the Gospel of Mark all year. Okay? We're going to be thinking about what does it mean for us to turn toward God. But we can, we can read a little more here. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, as Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net, a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he sees James, son of Zebedee, his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets, and without delay he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So, Jesus sees Simon and Andrew, and he sees James and John, and he moves toward them, and he calls them, and they respond. Do you, do you see what's happening? How did James and John and Andrew and Simon cross paths with Jesus? He went looking for them. And then when he finds them and he sees them, he calls out to them and invites them to be a part of his journey. That's the journey of faith. And this has always been God's way. He chases after us. He pursues us. And he invites us to participate. Think about creation. God creates all things. He creates a world for us to live on. He sees us into existence. And then he invites us to participate. He makes us the vice regents. We're the ones who oversee the garden. We're naming animals, you know, all these great things. Adam and Eve are having, you know, parties and getting to know one another. God's pursuing them. Or consider when Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they sin. They choose. This is, this is what's happening in that moment. They choose to say, we're going to trust our own hearts over God's because we think our ways will lead to life and his ways aren't so good. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they discover, ooh, God had it right because I've eaten from the tree and now I'm incredibly ashamed. And so what do they do? They hide behind some bushes. What happens next? God goes walking in the garden. God goes searching for them. God finds them and says, hey, what have you done? And invites them out and then makes a promise that one day he's going to restore all things. And there's lots of stories like this. The book of, if you read the book of Exodus and you read the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, do you know what verse comes right before the Ten Commandments? Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery and bondage. Why is that the preface to the Ten Commandments? Because God wants us to know, here's how this relationship is going to work. I'm God, and I will deliver you, and I love you, and I will be faithful to you, and I am committed to you. Okay? In light of that, please don't kill your friends. You're going to be lonely. You know, don't tell lies. No one's going to trust you. Don't steal everything. You need to share with each other. Like the Ten Commandments are God saying, because I love you so much, here's how I want you to then live, because following these ways leads to life. And there's story after story after story in the Scriptures of this happening, of what we see embodied here with Jesus, Him seeing His people, Him moving towards His people, Him inviting His people to participate with Him. Even Elijah up in the mountain, hiding from God. What do we read? God goes and finds him. He says, what are you doing? And then there's a still small voice that invites him into something greater. Listen to me. This morning, God wants you to realize that is what's happening to your heart right now. Why do you think you're hearing the gospel of Mark right now? Maybe your parents made you come. You know, maybe your husband forced you to come or your wife made you come. The, re the reality is you're hearing the words of the Almighty right now. And he is saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Turn towards me. Repent and believe the good news. I'm going to invite you in. You are being pursued right now by God. That's the kind of love that he has. Simon will eventually be able to write these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This guy who's fishing, who Jesus sees and approaches and then invites to participate, eventually says, I've encountered the living God. He has great mercy. He's invited me into new birth. He's given me a living hope. And He's even promised that one day we will experience resurrection. That's the good news. The story of God's passionate pursuit of His people and inviting them to believe His good news that Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, that God is willing to do whatever it takes to draw us to Himself. One writer put it this way, Kyle and I were talking about this 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 week, about the gospel, is that the gospel is news, not instruction. If you want to get the basics of what it means to follow Jesus, you need to hear this first. God is interested in you knowing how much he loves you. That's the beginning of the relationship. The good news isn't about your personal ability to be good or follow his ways. That's not where God starts. God starts with this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery and bondage. That's who I am. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's our relationship. And for me as a dad, I have three kids Um, I think about it like that. There's nothing my kids could ever do that's going to make them not my children. Now, I'm not always going to be pleased, probably, but they're always going to be my kids. The Lord is saying to us, you are always going to be my people. That's where we start. So the good news isn't about your personal ability to follow. The good news isn't about your ability to convince other people to follow. It's quite freeing, actually. Um, We live in light of God's love. We tell people about what God's done, just like Peter did when he wrote... Um, hear what I just read about this living hope and this resurrection, we do that. We do communicate about the gospel. But God is actively in work at people all around you. You know, one of the ways that we pray every morning for our church with me and and Kyle and, and our elders who show up is that God would let this place be a place where people encounter Jesus. We want more people to hear about how much God loves them through the message of this grace. This good news isn't about acquiring more power or proving anything. It's about you seeing what God has proven. And what He's proven is that He cherishes you, He loves you, and He's inviting you to follow Him. God is inviting you this morning to hear this story and to ask some questions. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to begin to wrestle with my deep heart commitments? My, you know, whenever I lash out. You ever said that when you lash out? Oh, I didn't really mean that. Yeah, you did. I mean, it was provoked by anger, but like your heart kind of came out there. Are you going to allow the reality of who Jesus is to offer you what you need, which is forgiveness, but even more so relationship with the God of heaven and earth who can even shape your heart and enable you to turn toward him and believe? You can ask yourself the question of, will I contemplate what it means for the kingdom of God to show up in my life? You know, my my mission field starts with my wife and my children. Like, how do I love them well? And my neighbors and my community and our church and our world. How do we embody the love of Christ so that more people can know that God is chasing them, God is pursuing them, and God is inviting them to be part of His mission? You know, some of the ways that as Christians, as a church, we do as a community of trying to embody the kingdom of God, of doing what Jesus is saying here, of repenting and turning towards him, is just coming to church or gathering online. 
We're doing this because we believe that God speaks through the power of His Spirit through His Word to shape us. It's a means of grace. We praise Him together. We confess our sins together. We hear His words of encouragement and hear from the Scriptures. And then He feeds us and sends us out because His desire is that many, many more might hear this message. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Turn towards the life of what Christ has to offer. Tim Keller wrote this in his commentary on, Kings, on this, um, this passage. He says, other religions say, this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says, this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to clear the way to God for you. Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news. If I have one thing I really want you to take away from our sermon um, this morning, it would be that to really contemplate what God has revealed as a first order of business. What has God revealed about the person of Jesus and what it means to know Him? What it means to follow Him? Where in my life ought I think about where I need to repent and where I need to believe? You know, Jack Miller is a guy that um, I've read a lot, but he said, you know, the Gospels is not just the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A2Z of the Christian faith. No one outgrows their need for understanding and wrestling with the very basics of what we mean when we say we are believers who follow Jesus. Jesus is calling out. The time has come. You know, there are times in the Christian life where we even feel complacent or like God is distant. Read these words again when you feel that moment. Jesus is saying, it's here. It's now. Repent. Believe this good news. Do you understand this morning that God is pursuing you? That he's chasing after you. That he's inviting you to follow him. You know, that's, that's my hope for our church as we make our way through this, the rest of 2020. Is that we really think together about how, what is it going to mean in this new environment to love one another well? What are we going to have to sacrifice? And what are we going to have to move toward? What are we going to have to think about? What are we going to have to um, understand about what it means to be Christians in this, un- this is a unique context for us. Uh, in the American church, this whole experience. And yet, Jesus says to us in just a profound way as he did in the first century, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. You know, there, there's, there's a wonderful um, hope that God gives us in this. There's no one who doesn't qualify for repenting and there's no one that cannot access God's grace by faith. God invites you into that story this morning. As we approach the table, I want to ask you to think about um, this kingdom as we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus says that as we celebrate the Supper, we're actually celebrating with Him, um, that He invites us to remember His body broken for us, His blood shed for us, but that this is a foretaste of the meal that we will one day have with Him as the kingdom approaches. And so, receive that good news that God's pursuing you and God welcomes you. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning as we think about the good news of the gospel, and as we consider Jesus' words that the time has come and the kingdom of God is near to repent and believe, Lord, we would ask that your spirit would give us faith to move into that repentance, to believe that your grace is big enough to forgive us, but also to move toward belief that your grace is great enough to sustain us as we seek to follow you and embody our Savior's love towards all we are near. In Christ's name we pray and ask these things.
Amen. As we approach the supper, um, it's an opportunity for those who have been baptized, for those who...